J.T. Crowley is talking books. On this show, you'll hear from emerging talent and seasoned veterans from around the world. I'm J.T. Crowley, and on my show today, I have an American author from Southwest Missouri, Walter Stephen Geeding. He's come on the show to talk a little bit about himself and the books that make up the Endless Time series, The Path of Cocopelli, Murphy's Diggings. Now, these two books are already published, but there are other books in the series that are shortly to be released or are at various stages of editing and completion. They are Making Tracks, West Coast Turnabout, and the fifth book, Gringo, is still at the writing stage. But we're also going to look at another series of books that Walter has written, and that series is The Colony Series. Of that series, we're going to touch upon three books, The End, Narrations of Newey, and The Beginning. Now, Walter was born in Washington, D.C., the son of an FBI agent. His younger years were very much the life of a nomad, crisscrossing America, and what he saw in his youthful nomadic life had a profound influence on him. So much so, those experiences reflect the storylines within some of his books. Walter Geeding's life, for me, could be compared to that of the life cycle of a butterfly. From the nomadic caterpillar stage, barely able to spell and write, he's emerged through pubescence to becoming a butterfly, a butterfly that became a successful dedicated attorney, both for defence and prosecuting cases. Not only did Walter turn his professional life around, but he also turned his private life around. After three failed marriages, Walt has now been married to Linda for close on 30 years. He has six children, 14 grandchildren. Walter has stepped away from the cutthroat legal profession and now describes his life as more blended with writing, traveling and following a Christian path. His motto in life is no guts, no glory. Walter Stephen Geeding, come and join me on the show. Hello, John. Nice to meet you. I have to say, you know, we've had several chats and looking at your books, they're different. They're unique. They are very um, original. That's my opening gambit to describing your books. But I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed reading them and going through them and chatting to you over the last couple of Zoom meetings, how we're going to do this podcast. It's been fascinating. And I'd like to say right now, everybody, I'd like to thank a big thank you to Nancy. Who is she? Well, Walter might tell you who she is, but she's been an absolute star in getting this podcast together. Thank you so much, Nancy. Now, Walter, I think I've had several communications with you, as I've said, so I get the impression you've had a varied and fulfilling life so far. Um, You're no shrinking violet, as they say here in the UK. Would you care to tell the audience a little more about yourself and what drove you to compile these books and the storylines, the narratives within? My life has been a storyline. Uh, my dad was an FBI agent. I ran away from home to 
basically to keep my dad from killing me <laughs> when he figured out that I was too much of a mouth for him to handle. Uh, so I ran away, hit the road for several years with my best friend, uh, which comes up in the second series. But uh, spent years out on the road, had more stories happen to me that are uh, uh, true life adventures that are uh, half of them are more unbelievable than the fiction that I write. I'm also from there uh, as a nomad, semi-criminal, I uh, evolved into going back to school at about, I don't know, 36, 38, uh, went through undergrad as an English major, went to law school, became an attorney, uh, was a prosecuting attorney for eight years, uh, criminal attorney, defense attorney for the next 15 or 20. Uh, from there, I, I started getting burned out uh, and start, began writing. I'm also a, uh, I raise bees for a hobby. And that's where the uh, thoughts for colony came in. I had some hives disappear with colony collapse. And I thought, you know, what would happen if the bees disappear from the earth? Well, earth as we know it would cease to exist. Uh, an ancient Chinese sage once said, uh, when the last bee's wings stop fluttering, life as we know it will be no more. And absolutely true. And this was said in the time when there were no commercial crops. Earth, 50% uh, uh, of, of all commercial crops are uh, pollinated by bees. 90% of non-commercial crops. So I free associated and that's where colony came from. Now, Walter, let's take the audience to the Endless Time series, starting with the first book, The Path of Cocopelli. The story evolves around the time travel exploits of Jack and Jim, two lifetime drinking soulmates that live a carefree life just scraping by. A misplaced cabin draws their attention. The cabin's persona reveals expectations beyond their wildest fantasies. The holy grail of adventures is about to come their way. A trading world of 1822 in New Mexico, the era of Cocopelli, a fertile deity, usually depicted as a humpbacked flute player, venerated by some Native Americans in the southwestern United States. Walter why did you choose to write this book? Uncle Pally chose me. Uh, my wife and I, uh, and uh, again, uh, the, the journeys of Jack and Jim throughout this series are the two main protagonists are actually alter egos of Jim, my uh, brother from a different mother, and myself. Uh, I chose to wrote about this, write about the Southwest because I love the Southwest one. Uh, my wife and I were floating to Colorado some years back and we floated, uh, took a raft float down through there. And this little humped over guy kept appearing on the walls. The water was low. And then uh, we went in to, to the, the uh, Southwestern tribes, their trading posts and stuff and kept seeing this little guy. Well, he was wanting to become known to me. I mean, he was already well known, but he wanted me to know who he was. So I started researching him. And my first book was born. There was Coco Pelli. He was already famous, but he wanted to be more famous. <laughs> I've actually done my research into Coco Pelli, and it's a very fascinating story, everybody. Go and Google him. Go and have a look. 
Now, Walter, there are 20 chapters of gripping adventures in this book as you flip between time, uh, the near present and the past. Now, I want to go to two of those chapters just to give people a flavor of what they can expect from this book. I would like to go to chapters 3 and 14, Admittance Process, Wyoming, and The Ranch. So chapter 3, Walter, Admittance Progress, Process even, everyone, Wyoming. You start this chapter, Fascination, along with a chill running down my spine. This is the quote, everybody. So it starts off with, Fascination, along with a chill running down my spine, shook me when the letters ended. I looked at a stack of 24 letters tied in one thick bundle with an old ribbon. Shrugging and opening the top one with a funny little guy sketched on top. I read the following. What are these letters, Walters? And how significant are they and the contents of this chapter to the overriding concept of your book? The books throughout the series are a, a uh, the, these letters have a profound effect on because they are written by a lady that is long since dead called Maria Elizabeth de Villa, uh, Donna Maria. Each letter directs them to a different time and place. Each There's 24 gold figurines. Each figurine takes them to a different time and place. And the map letters give them maps while they're there. Uh, the first one that they're talking about going to 1822 New Mexico, Coco Pelli is the figurine that directs them there. They find out the figurines are actually time keys. And each time key will direct them to a different place. So that the... Uh, the letters themselves are integral to taking them where they need to go. And if they disregard the letters, they will become trapped in time themselves. And this, everybody, is pretty much the bane of the storyline throughout all these chapters. But the idea is to give you a flavour of what's in the book, not to go through all the chapters. If you want to see what's in all the chapters, well, go and get the book. I can't say fairer than that. And I say that very often in all my interviews. The idea is to give you a flavor of what this book is about. Now, we've got five books to do in the podcast, so we're going to move on to the next chapter in this first book. And that chapter where I want to go to, Walter, is you head up the ranch. I liked one of the opening quotes, and here it is. Oh, my God, Jack, you do smell sort of dead. Did knowing how to use soap and water slip your mind up here? What's this part of the book about and what can readers expect, Walter, in this part of the book? Jack and Jim have uh, successfully completed their first journey. They've got back and they've come back to the ranch where Jim has uh, found his true love, got married and had a child. Uh, Jack has been up in the mountains for his uh, first time. He rescued the old foreman that was up there. It broke his leg, stayed in the mountains, the gross interest for two months. Uh, while he's up there, him and his little dog, uh, obviously they don't have running water. So they take a bath whenever they feel like it. And dog and man are quite satisfied with each other. In the interim, while he's there, he kills a giant grizzly bear by he has to or the bear's going to eat them. So he, he kills a bear and skins it. 
he's got a little bitty cabin and he brings the bear skin in and skins it on the floor while there's bear fat and slime everywhere. Uh, but neither one of them mind too much. They take a bath, roll the bear skin up and put it up. Uh, long about mid-March, the rescuers, not the rescuers, they come up and get him every year in, in March. Uh, as soon as they walk in the door, they're going, hey, I guess, you know, it must have been really lonely up here. Oh, my God, you smell horrible. Well, uh, combination of two months not taking a bath too often and uh, rancid bearskin uh, does the trick. I think if you and I didn't take a bath or a shower for two months, I think we might have <laughs> a certain bodily odor about ourselves. <laughs> dog didn't mind. so No, the dog wouldn't mind. But I think um, other people would might mind. They say, go take a bath. Yeah. My wife would kick me out. <laughs> I'm sure she would. Don't blame her. <laughs> You're not coming here smelling like that. Take a shower. Um, Walter, let's quickly turn to the second book, Murphy's Diggings, as we have a lot to get through in this podcast interview. Here we have Jack and Jim, the main protagonists, are back with more spills and twists wonderfully foretold everybody over 20 breathtaking imaginary chapters the characters as you would expect have moved on but face a new set of issues thieving heirs saving the wyoming branch killing california gold rush 1848 a millionaire philanthropist the murphy boys a rich mormon two helpless miwok native american boys Voices from the Grave, plus lots, lots more, everybody. So, Walter, let's give folk um, an idea of what they can expect by going to two of the chapters in this book, chapters 5 and 17. You know, Sutter's Mill and Meeting Murphy's and Greenhorns. So chapters 5 and 17, Sutter's Mill and Meeting the Murphy's, and Greenhorns. They are the chapters that we're going to go to. So in Sutter's Mill and Meeting okay. the Murphys, you open up the chapter with, there are no roads and barely Indian trails in this part of the world. With the jump, late August had turned into September in North California, and morning air held the nip of autumn's chill. What's going on, Walter, in this book? What can the readers glean about all the goings-on here, and in particular, this section of the book? Uh, again, the they, uh, protagonists have, have became ranchers. The heirs have showed up after the uh, old folks that own the ranch die and have stolen everything. Jack decides, Jim will not go. He's married with a child. He says, I'm not going, buddy. And Jack decides to go himself. Brother-in-law stabs a man in a self-defense fight. He's in jail for murder. Uh, his Jim's wife says, you're going to go with your godfather. And uh, back they go. They uh, get supplies, and they're going to go to 1848, California, to trade. Uh when they go, they step out of Discovery Tree after going across the, the portal and, uh, and uh, coming out in 1848, California, through the Discovery Tree. Uh, they go 14 miles and they come up to Murphy's Diggings. Murphy's boys are real-life figures that, uh, two brothers, 
they uh, actually had a fist fight over what which Murphy would uh, name Murphy's Diggins to become today's Murphy's California. Neither one of them could beat each other, so it became Murphy's with no apostrophe. True story. Uh, along the way, they, uh, you know, they they found in the past they they found that uh, self worth is more valuable than than money. But in this book, uh, you know, they meet millionaire uh, renegade Mormon Sam Brannon. He's a a murderer and uh, probably California's first millionaire. Uh, they meet John Sutter, uh, and these are some real life people. Uh, San Francisco is still a population of about a thousand. Still a big trade city. Uh, Brandon's used to getting his way. They uh, pop out in camp. They start trading. Uh, they uh, meet two Miwok Indian boys who become their friends while they're there. Uh, it, and it's a series of, of meeting murderers, meeting a lawless land, and trying to retain your dignity and, and your honor in a time when there is no dignity in honor. And chapter 17, Greenhorns, uh, here you're talking about the McSwain brand. I like this chapter, everyone. The McSwain brats. Uh, one snagging some Mexican cowboys from another branch. Three men um, attacking one, plus loads more carrying on. Would you care to open up, Walter, as to where you're taking the reader here in this part of the book? Because it's absolutely wonderful, this this chapter, chapter 17, everyone, Greenhorns. It's amazing. Spill the beans, they say over here. I'm sorry. (laughs) Spill the beans, as they say over here. Jack has came down off the mountain after the the, uh, old folks has died, the McSwain's. The uh, three people that he meets, and he's ridden a horse for 20 miles in the, in the snow. He came down early, uh, comes down, three people, he, they meet him, and as usual, he's, uh, this is his second trip. He comes down, and three people meet him at the gate, which are the heirs to the McSwain Ranch. Uh, they have found out much to their chagrin that uh, they have made a grandson out of little Sarge, Jim's son, and deeded him a large part of the ranch. And they are busy uh, trying to steal everything that's not laid down. They try to uh, convince Jack to leave, with, for lack of a better word. Uh, Jack uh, habitually wears his uh, Colt 45s when he's out on the range, and he, he is on this day. And uh, he basically says, you know, I'm tired, I'm dirty, and uh, I'm cold. And uh, one of them spouts off, and I think he drops it. And that's that's how it starts out. It's a fascinating. He doesn't kill him. He just hits him. <laughs> Don't say anything. Don't give the plot away. <laughs> oh no, no. <laughs> it really is a fascinating uh, part of the book, and that's why I wanted to go there, everybody. Um, so I am fully aware we are skimming through these books because uh, once we've gone through the five books. Walter wants to talk about what's coming down the line with the Endless Times uh, series. So we will come back to the Endless Times series, everybody. Um, Walter, I want to move away now from the Endless Times series books, but it says we will be coming back to them. But I want to go to the Colony series now. Now, there are three books, everybody, in this uh, series uh, that we're going to talk about. The first one is called The End the second book is The Narration of Newey, and the third book is 
called The Beginning. Briefly, Walter, what is this series about? The end, the book, well, the entire series is about uh, how life as we know it will end with nuclear war and the the bees disappearing. Uh, The bees disappear from Earth. Starving countries begin to attack, crossing borders, attacking each other. Uh, An empty belly knows no borders. Eventually, wars start. Uh, Armies uh, have mass desertions, and uh, all law breaks down on Earth. Uh, Reading knows that the end is coming, the protagonist, and he finds a cave uh, to get his little band in. Uh, he knows that uh, by the end of the second year that it's going gonna, it's gonna to come loose. Uh, and he starts getting his band together. He puts enough food in there for six months. Uh, when the EMP goes off, he uh, takes his band. And as the last one in, he seals the entrance. The bombs go off and freeze them in for 10 years. That's the start of it. And that's just the tantalizing start, everyone. (laughs) Okay, Walter, let's have a look at some of the chapters within the three books, starting with book one, The End. Here we have 20 chapters of stimulating storylines, everybody. The main character is Steve, a beekeeper, lawyer, survivalist, prisoner, and ally of the strange underground guardians that are trying to save what's left of Earth's shambolic human affairs. Surface in a frozen state. What's the overriding theme to this book, Walter? And do you think what you've put in chapter three supports that main theme? So apart from telling us about the general theme, can you go into a little more detail with what's taking place in chapter three here? Let's give the audience, the listeners, a tantalizing opportunity to go into this chapter. Chapter three. Well, as I said, reading is is preparing his band. Hmm. He has uh, he has uh, taken a a cave that he has found out by his hunting cabin and has. Forty seven people that he's preparing to come in. He has uh, called all of his family. Anybody that's far out has a has no chance. Anybody that's close in knows when a signal is given to come in. Uh, as as the world starts to implode, uh, he moves everybody in. He has already lost a grandson. He's lost uh, three family members. He has reconciled himself to the fact that uh, he is no longer an attorney. He has become a survivor himself. Uh, the farms are becoming strongholds for uh, any people that are left. They are fighting for their lives. Uh, again, the gangs are taking out the cities. There is no sa- the only safety is in numbers. Uh, churches have broken down. Uh, there is no more cities have began emptying out because there's no more gas. Uh, coal mines have stopped producing because there's no more gas. With no coal mines, the water has ceased coming out. Purification systems break down. Cities uh, start the general last mass exit to anywhere. Uh, with that becomes even more millions of people roaming the country, and uh, its its life is beginning to be non-existent on Earth. You enjoy writing these chapters, these storylines. 
I do. I thought you did. Well, it's, you know, the reality is kind of staring us in the face these days. We, we're, we live in a scary time. And I wrote, you know, I wrote this with the with the thought that this could happen anytime, anywhere on Earth, any day. The and first part, at least. I know, and we do live in scary times. But we'll move on. We're not here to talk about that, everybody. Uh, Walter, let's go to Chapter 15. Here you talk about young guardians that have made the return trip um, that got back. Um, Queen Zed, the Malone disappearance, business being on high alert, Marcy's burial, a huge explosion, the creator loathing to extinguish life already created, Zure finding us, the original Zure queen, the old Zur Queen. Zur sensing you as a direct descendant of Nui, which links to the second book in the series. Where are you taking the readers here? Nuclear war has started. They they are in their cave. Uh, six months have passed. The food has run out. Reading takes off farther in the cave. He doesn't want to see his people starve to death. He decides to either find help or die trying. When he wakes up on the cave floor several days later, he's staring into the eyes of what he perceives as a giant insect, which is, in fact, a uh, one of the Earth's creator's guardians created many, many hundreds of thousands of years before. Uh, she takes him to the colony, to her colony, which is, in fact, an ark. Uh, there are 13 arcs just like it across the world uh, at, with game preserves or animal preserves, if you were well. Uh, she hears uh, her her workers say that uh, seven people have disappeared when three of the band go back for some necessaries for the people. She goes back and gets the rest of the people. Seven of them are missing. Uh, when she hears this, she flies back with reading. Uh, all of a sudden, she's being chased by we don't know who. Coming back, she explains that Zur is a renegade guardian from the First Earth, uh, when First Earth was the water people to start with. And uh, that particular guardian went renegade because she hated people, she hated men. And she allies with another water person who was a leader at the time. He was loath to give up his strength and position, so he decided to take out the rest of men. Between the two of them, uh, in First Earth, they drowned the planet and destroyed all the cities. And uh, she knows that Zur is now alive. She's been uh, she was banished, and for seventy thousand years, nobody heard a word out of her. Now all of a sudden, our nuclear war created a path for her to get out of her prison, and she consents living human, living conscious bodies, and therefore. Something's going to have to be done and soon because she's bringing the war to us. I told you it's a fascinating book, everybody. And I think you're fine. I'm right. Let's go to the second book in this series, Narrations of Nui. Here we find Steve, the main protagonist, hidden in a cave on the brink of starvation, discovering an ancient guardian species known as Zed, sent by the creator to preserve all of Earth's treasures including man. Now, Steve's connection to the Zed 
is intriguing. What role the bees he raised and an ancient unknown ancestor play is equally absorbing everybody. There's a lot going on in the melting pot of this book, the core of this book, everybody, the heart of this book. Cracks are starting to appear in the Earth's crust. The escape of Zur, 300 humans from various said colonies. This is a busy, busy book with new at the start, taking Steve across vast seas to a different place and time. Again, Walter, tell us about the overall narrative. And is chapter one, in your opinion, a powerful enough chapter, a powerful enough opening to set the whole storyline alight for this book and for the series? I think so. uh, It begins with reading uh, being sent through uh, a gravitational field under the South Pole. The nothing or no or or the Z or Zero can't get there because the the. their method of, of flying the gravitational field sets them off at the South Pole. He passes through a, a, a wall, a stone wall, into a different plane, uh, into a room with uh, just a stone room and a rock. When he grabs that rock, mist appears and he walks through it, comes out on a path that leads him. All of a sudden, he realizes that that path leads him to the very cave that he thought he had discovered. As he walks up to the cave, a figure flits inside. He follows that figure. And as he comes to the, uh, their water where uh, they had a generator going, an arm reaches out and drags him into the water and says, welcome, grandson. And that starts chapter one. Uh, chapter one, we were, we were a water race. Uh, you know, we, we resided in cities forever and freedom and love was ours for many thousands of years. Uh, there was no jealousy. There was no anything. Uh, we we were the creator's people till a leader decided he didn't. And leaders were chosen for their abilities, not for their want or their political affiliation. Uh, this leader wanted to stay there. So uh, he created uh, the first weapon out of the creator's gift of the innate use of gravity. With that weapon, uh, he decided he destroyed underwater cities and started to come out on land. Uh, in that time, he was eventually beaten, beaten back. But uh, the landman who had gotten away from him after he just used this weapon were able to beat him back. But all of a sudden, this great insect appeared, uh, which was Zer. They didn't know it at the time. Uh, she produced what uh, she called giants, which were made from slaves that she had discovered by accident using massive amounts of royal jelly, she could create mindless slaves. They only uh, answered to their stomachs and she would not tell her allies that and they would catch and eat anything. They were very short lived and could not breed. Uh, Between the two of them, they were about set to take over humanity on shore, which were three continents. Uh, The Z appeared to help and, and they, uh, they discovered Nui, and Nui's relating all this, and he's going to take him all through this, but this is a short version to start with. Uh, they they discover that, A, the giants can only, only obey their stomachs, and B, Zer has utter disregard for the thinking of man. She thinks they're 
that they don't deserve to be uh, included in thinking entities. And those two shortcomings are what readings there to discover from his ancient grandfather. So what, Walter, I have to say, I found the uh, the giants in this book fascinating. And you might think that's odd when you look at the overall storyline, but I just found them really, really fascinating. That's just me. That's just me. Well, when you when you think that, uh, you know, it, religion says that, uh, you know, there were giants that walked the earth. Um, mm. If you believe that, anything's possible. Indeed, indeed. Maybe it is. Anyway, uh, Walter, let's uh, quickly skim down to the next series on the book, uh, book three. Now, oddly enough, you titled the book The Beginning, and yet the first book you give the title The End. So I thought to myself, hmm, this is odd. So I thought before we actually get into this section of the book, this part why have you titled the books in this order? The Quite literally, the end is formed because the end of Earth starts this story. Uh, Earth starts crumbling, and within two years, the end happens. The narration of news is a continuation of, of the, uh, the end. Uh, when reading steps through into a different plane, uh, the second book is completely... Uh, observe second person through Nui, uh, and his narrations take him completely through to the end of the second book, wherein the beginning starts. And the beginning is is the beginning of Earth when it greens up in 10 years. Are we going to see a new day when uh, man rejoins the other wonders of the universe and of Earth and the miracles and steps out and rejoins his place? Or is darkness going to control and giants will work, walk the Earth forever? There you go, everyone. That's why they're titled in that order. Now, the story in book three here, uh, for me, is just as riveting as the two early books in the series. It tells the story of continuing struggles between the remaining two Z colonies and Queen Zeus' total intent to gain supremacy over a thawing Earth, now that she can create colonies of powerful giants. The attack scenes are thrilling and absorbing. Steve has spent 10 years with, his, with Newey, his distant grandfather, and he has returned to the surface. Will the final conflict result in a reborn Earth for the Zed colonies, or will Zur bring about an era of darkness with giants and evil filtrating a new aeon? What I want to know, Walter, and so that the audience can understand to make their own mind about this book. The most effective and powerful book within the series is that what I think it is. Can you lift the lid off a little more to reveal more of the whole story and why the contents of chapter five is that important chapter? The contents of chapter five is... Uh... Basically, the war is still going on in inner earth. The uh, first world has destroyed itself. Uh, they have came back. They uh, have decided uh, that uh, they are going to have to, to 
beat Zur or the giants and Zur will take over the earth. The, uh, at that point, they decide that uh, to do that, they're going to have to get to her. As they're talking, a eastern colony, Zur has already conquered three eastern colonies and killed about 30 humans in each one of those colonies. Now, there's only 13, so uh, uh, actually killed seven colonies. So half the, half the population of the world of humans have already been destroyed. Uh, as they're talking about how best to do this, uh, at a one emaciated uh, Z comes that is in charge of taking care of the preserves where all the animals of the earth are. She says that as for our queen, she said, keep these people alive at all costs. And she took seven people, six people from an Eastern colony and put them in one of the animal preserves. And they are trying to figure out how to, how to get to them. Uh, at the same time, she is attacking one of the Western colonies. They have to go through 50,000 attackers to get to the East. They plan a great uh, bomb for a, for lack of a better word. And as they set it off, Reading and Spy Brothers and 6Z go underground to get to a place where the animals are. And that place is called a preserve. And that is where Chapter 5 starts. The preserve itself is a little 40-foot room. At, as you walk into in, underground, and as you walk into the room, uh, all that's there is a picture turned up and a light bulb hanging over the top. And Reading's going, that's kind of weird. And uh, he follows, says, now, follow an exact straight line or you'll meet an unpleasant death. He follows them in, and uh, he notices that they, they start going up through the clouds, and when they come out of the clouds, they're on a huge ledge overlooking uh, Arabia, or the Arabic place. And uh, the it's, 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 it's a huge place, and they're in the middle of a huge place. All the animals, he can look down, uh, the lions and the camels are asleep. There's schools of fish. Everything is asleep. The creator has made a miniature earth with the animals in it completely and left them asleep. This is what is beginning to run out of food for the, the, the Eastern workers have been taking care of them. The six sleeping people, there's uh, one, uh, he's a descendant of an Eastern beekeeper, his wife and four kids. They get those four and are heading back and they get uh, ambushed by a group of attacking Zerg. And I won't go any farther than that into that. No, no, no. Let's keep that one. You know, if you want to find out more what's going on in that chapter in that part of the book, well, as I say, go and get the book. Now, Walter, chapter 17. Um, can you briefly tell us what's going on in this chapter? And do you think the audience and the readers are going to enjoy the final countdown part of the series here? I loved it. Uh, I, you know, I, had a, I had a great time writing it because it just gave me hope all the way around. Uh, about the, you know, at some point you've got to say, man's still got a heart. Man is still good. And, uh, you know, good triumphs over evil if you believe in God every time. Uh, I do. And, uh, you know, I don't give a darn if you don't or if anybody does, but I do. I'm a Christian. And uh, this is how I desired my my world to turn out. Uh, they come to the day when, uh, you know, that Zur has been conquered. Uh, the giants are no more. Uh, ten years have passed, 
And uh, she says, it's time to go out. When you leave, uh, you'll be the only one and your wife will be the only ones that remember being here. Uh, when they leave, you'll leave only with hand tools. You will never need another machine again. And you'll the whole group will forget. We have created a paradise for you outside. And uh, when they walk out, they uh, it's 10 years has been gone. Earth is greening. The animals are all back. Uh, they have lives ahead of them. And uh, Earth is looking forward to a, a grand future. And uh, man is back on Earth. A new step in life. That's right. Absolutely. And when you look at the book, everybody, um, that's what you will find. But I'm not going to go into it anymore. I hope, everybody, that we've given you a tantalising uh, glimpse into what the Colony series is about. Because, as I promised you, I want to now go back to the Endless Time series because Walter wants to talk to you and say what's coming down the line. Now, I've, because the books haven't been, they're not out, they're, they're at various stages, uh, so I don't know what's in them. Um, all I know is that they, they have been given various titles, and so book three is being called Making Tracks, book four is uh, Westcoat Turnabout, and Gringo's is number five. So I'm going to hand it over to Walter here. What's in these books? When are they going to come out? Take it over to you. Making Tracks is in the final stages of editing. Should be out, uh, if I'm lucky, by the first of the year. Uh, making Tracks is about the making of the Transcontinental Railroad from the time the biggest fraud in history was perpetrated on Washington, D.C., to the uh, pounding of the Golden Spike in Promontory, Utah. It covers a series of times from the last of uh, 63 to 1869. There are four, three inner portals in it. Uh, it also uh, covers 700 years of migrations by the Athabascans or Diné, which are the, uh, Diné is the people, literally the people. They are the forerunners of the Pueblos and the Apache. Jack and his cohort will travel the paths from standing in Washington, D.C., among the crowd and listening to the, uh, Durant and his buddies from the, uh, the other side of the world or the other side of the United States con the Congress into giving them untold millions of dollars when the war was not quite over yet, civil war and starting, starting in Nebraska, go clear through Nebraska, uh, Colorado, and on across the Rocky Mountains, Utah, and into California. Uh, and uh, all the trials and tribulations that happen, they uh, will play anything from Indian fighter to Indian scout to uh, sightseers. They take on the migration, the 700-year migration of the Diné through the eyes of the Diné until they pound the Golden Spike. The That's making tracks West Coast Turner. Hmm. West Coast turnabout. West Coast turnaround. The uh, guys go back out. The uh, it, it, it's in uh, Big Tree, Oregon. Starts out. The uh, it moves from Oregon back into California pre eighteen forty eight before the gold was discovered. 
John Sutter's uh, fort and it is still in shape. Nobody has trampled his crops. Nobody's killed his animals. Nobody stole everything. You find out that John Sutter is not the nice guy everybody thought he was. He's a he's a slave owner. He uh, has a Indian army. That Indian army goes out and uh, subjugates people from all the other tribes to work his vast holdings. Uh, and I won't tell you a whole lot more about that. Uh, the Miwok Indians are involved. Uh, and they uh, go through one escapade after the other in that one. West, and uh, let's see what I, I need. Uh, West Coast turnaround and gringos. When can gringos. people expect... Walter, when can people expect uh, West Coast turnabout? Well, I have to get Nancy in gear. She's getting slow on me. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> and there ended Actually, the life of Walter Stephen Geeding, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm thinking of, you know, the uh, West Coast turnaround is in my safe and ready to pick up. Uh, it's... Uh, I would say if we if we get one out by the first year, we'll have the other one out before the end of the year. And and then Gringos is in a uh, I've written about a half a chapter on it, so it's still in the gel stage. That was at the very early stage, everybody. Um, Walter, what's you know. Apart from these two series books, do you have plans to do any other series or anything else? Or are you just going to focus on these, you know, the endless time series? For me, I get the impression this is the driving force behind Walter Stephen Geeding at the moment, the endless time series. Am I right? It is. Uh, the, way I, the way I've set it up, the uh, endless time series could have up to 24 uh, books in it. Uh, I'm actually on book number one, two, three, four, working on number five in this series. So it could it could go on ad nauseum if I if I felt like it. Uh, Walter Stephen Geeting doesn't know where his finger's going to land next, and I always say that my, when my fingers start writing, my mind follows it because I I, uh, I always write everything out in longhand, and Nancy cusses me daily because she can't read what I write. Uh, but she's been around me long enough in law and here that she figures it out sooner or later. But it's exciting for me because I, I never take notes. I never do, a, you know, I, I, I don't paragraph anything. I, I don't do anything but sit down and say, what's these boys going to do today? And it, it uh, surprises me as much as everybody else. <laughs> do you know what I get the impression that, yes, you write it down, then Nancy puts her own interpretation on it and types that up? <laughs> Well, she interprets it, but she knows better than to change anything. <laughs> she might suggest something. Yes. She's the boss, everyone. And we'll move on. Walter, who do you see as your market for your books? Who would you want to be seen reading your books? Anybody that has a desire to get out of their place where you're at, any, any demographic, it doesn't matter uh, if you're in the big city and you want to take a step back and be uh, free and, and uh, dream about what's around the next corner or or uh, take a wild, crazy ride somewhere and uh, step out of your comfort zone. Anybody like that. Uh, 
these books are designed to with two men that are that, that adventure and danger are their code names. And they, I have to tell you that the two men that these the last series is after that was their their uh, they spent years on the road and everything they did was unscripted. Uh, they had no safety nets. And if you like danger and adventure and uh, these books have safety nets because you can always get up out of your easy chair and leave for a while. The characters, the real life characters, and they they remember things in every single one of these books. Every remembrance that they do is 100 percent accurate because it actually happened. So if you want to have adventure, you want to be scared, you want to have a thrill, pick up a book. Would I be right in saying, Walter, that possibly in either, you know, the main characters, Jack or Jim, there's a little bit of you? Oh, you'd be absolutely correct. But, uh, you know, I, 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 uh, my adventures nowadays are on on the written page, but uh, there's very few of these adventures short of, you know, I mean, they're fictional, but there's very few of these adventures that, doesn't have a taste of me or Jim in it somewhere. Thought there was something about uh, Walter Stephen Geating in these um, characters, Jim or Jack. Have a look at the books, everyone, and make your own mind up. Uh, Walter, where can people get your books from? WalterStephenGeating.com. That's Stephen with a P-H-E-N. And uh, I blog weekly on there. I uh, huge amounts of poetry. I'm a poetry nut and uh, I've been writing poetry since I was seven, but WalterStephenGeating.com will get there. Uh, if you want uh, more up-to-date things that are happening in, in the series' world, or you want to just read some uh, crazy up-to-date poetry about what's happening in the world or what's happening what and as far as what I see when I'm walking down a country road or see an animal out in the woods or something, uh, go to WalterStephen.com Take a peek into my world. Walter Stephen Geeding, thank you so much for coming on my show and sharing a little bit about your own life and the books that you write and the books that are coming down the line. I'm JT Crowley. Thanks for listening, watching, wherever you are in the world. So until next time, stay safe.